0: Last Friday night, I got to be a part of a really special moment. Um, My brother-in-law and sister-in-law, they live about two and a half hours from here in southwest Tennessee, and their oldest son turned 12 back in December. And so they wanted to to do this really special thing where they wanted to kind of just mark him turning, you know, starting to turn from a boy into a young man. And so the idea was that they were going to invite men from the church and they were going to invite men from our family that love the Lord. And, and we're going to have this big meal and they were going to gather at their house. And, and we were going to sit in the living room and just share like what we love about Him and speak encouragement over Him and share life lessons with Him, things that, that we have learned that we wanted to impart with Him. And so it was amazing Friday night. You know, drive there and we eat this meal and we're gathered around this room, 15, 20 other guys. And, guys that are so much older than me and so much wiser. And they're just speaking just such gold. Like just things that they have learned that they wish that they could redo and, 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 and speaking life over him and tell, calling out the things that they love about him. It was just this incredible night. And, and I've been thinking about last Friday night all week. And at the core of what my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law were doing is that, is that they know you know, my, my nephew's 12 years old, he's lived some life. But they know what is coming. And and they care so deeply about him being prepared for the storms that were coming in life. That they knew that that pain was coming, that they knew that pressure was coming, and, and they go, Man, whatever we can do to make sure he is equipped to weather the storms, we're gonna do it. And I just had this front row seat of. Seeing parents go, man, how do we prepare our kids for the things that are coming? You know, I love the series that we're in. I love this series so much. Last week, Dave kicked off our teaching series where we're looking at uh, the, books of Revel- the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3, and it was seven letters that were written to seven different churches. That, um, it was called Asia Minor at the time. It's what is today modern-day Turkey. And Dave kicked us off last week, the, the first letter, and this is from Jesus himself, that John the Apostle, the guy who wrote um, the, the Gospel of John, and the guy who wrote 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, that same John who was one of the 12, he's an old man, and, and he's um, on this island of Patmos, and he's in prison, and, and it's in that moment that Jesus himself shows up to John, and he has this vision, and Jesus tells John, I'm gonna give you some words that I want you to pass along to the seven churches in Asia Minor, and, and so John gets a piece of paper, and he starts scribing these words from Jesus. And last week, Dave kicked us off. We, we talked about the church of Ephesus. And today we're going to be looking at the church in the city of Smyrna. You know, I, I love this second letter, this second church. It is one of the two churches out of the seven where Jesus has nothing bad to say. Um, there is no critique there's no place of, of where they have compromised, or a place where they have caved, or they've grown complacent, that, that they needed to rectify. No. This is an incredibly solid church. A church, not just with a few people, like a whole church. like every single person devoted to Jesus. Loving him, locked into him, offering the fullness of their lives. And I love because Jesus has some words to this church, but they aren't words of correction. They aren't words of like, you know, hey, get your life in order. They are words of, of blessing and strengthening. But Jesus, just like my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, he's, he's gathering us around the living room and he goes, you need to know that you've lived some life, but there are things that are coming and you need to be ready for them. And if we can posture ourselves this morning to to receive that kind of, of posture from Jesus, where He's gathered us in the living room and, like a good parent, He goes, I just want you to be ready so that you can weather the storms. And I love the way that this starts because it's so encouraging and so comforting. Jesus does this, He does this with all of His letters. But we're gonna hone in on this this morning. The first thing that we see in this, the first handle for us this morning is that Jesus reminds them and he reminds us who he is. The first thing that Jesus does in this letter is that he anchors, he anchors us in who he is. Listen to Revelation chapter two, verse eight that Emily just read a minute ago. It says, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this. These are the words of him, not John. King Jesus, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. One of the things that that maybe you saw last week that you're going to see on the next couple of weeks is that before Jesus ever shares a word of encouragement or correction or of direction, before he does any of those things, he starts every letter reminding them who he is, and it's really beautiful because every letter, he reveals a different part of who he is. A different part of his heart, a different part of, of what he has accomplished. And this is so beautiful because he's speaking specifically to every church. That every church is going through something different and he knows that. And so he, he, he reveals a, a certain aspect characteristic of who he is or what he's done to speak, to anchor the people. And so he says this, the one who's, I'm the one who's the first and the last He's reminding the church, hey, I was there in the very beginning. And I was there the day you were born. I saw the day that that Ethos was born. He says, I'm the first and, and I'm the last. I'll be there at the the culmination of the ages. When when I return on the clouds and I come to this earth to save my people, you will see that that I am the first and the last. And what he's trying to do is to anchor his people. He's anchoring us in this reality that he sees everything. That he's seen it all. He's aware of it all. And he's in control. He says, the one who's the first and the last the one who died and came to life again. And, And this is incredibly important that he died. He reminds them that he died. And we're going to circle back to this in a minute, the importance that Jesus says this to them. But he reminds them that death didn't have the last word in his life, that he rose again. I love this. Jesus reminds them who he is. The second thing we see is that things are not always as they appear. Verse 9 Jesus says this to the church of Smyrna, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Man, what words. Jesus sees things differently so often than you and I do. That Jesus has the ability to, to see the heart. He looks below the surface. He actually knows what is going on in every single one of our hearts. I think it's pretty profound that last week we looked at the church of Ephesus, and on the surface, my guess is if the, the church in Ephesus were in Nashville, we would just be blown away by the church. It was a church that, that was doing all the, the outward activities, doing them right. They were persevering. They were a hardworking church. They were people who had really solid doctrine. <clears throat> they had a long history in the city of, of making it a positive impact. And yet Jesus looks at this church that on the outside is booming and growing and doing well. And he says, actually, let me tell you, I see your heart. And in your heart, you don't actually love me. And on the surface, Ephesus looks amazing, and at the core, there's nothing alive there. And Jesus looks at the church of Smyrna, and just think about what he just said. You're a a impoverished church. You're poor. You can't pay your pastors. You can't pay for rent. You you have a desire to help, but you don't have any money. You're impoverished. He says you're you're afflicted. Life is hard for you. And so if we were just to look at the church of Smyrna, we're like, man, they're a poor church and and life is hard and it's challenging. We might be tempted to look at that church that's small and seemingly insignificant. I wonder how many churches like that in Nashville that we drive past that they're just small churches and and we might be tempted to go, man, there's nothing going on there. And Jesus looks at churches like Smyrna and says, no, you're the real deal. Jesus sees things differently than we do. Things are not always as they appear on the surface. You know, my freshman year of college, I wanted to be a pastor for a long time, since I was in fifth grade. I went to college to, to study. I knew I needed to be trained. And so I remember my freshman year, you know, on the surface, you might see me and be like, dude, he's, he's studying ministry and, and he's kind to people. And, you know, like on the surface, like he's, he's giving his life to ministry. And I remember one day having a conversation with our executive pastor now, Sam. He was the um, assistant head resident at the dorm I lived in. And he stopped me out front in the dorm, and, he, and we were just chit-chatting, and, and he said these words to me. He said, hey, don't let the only time be that you're reading the scripture be when you're preparing to teach. And he just hit the nail on the head, like the only time I was ever in God's word. Was for other people, and, and that was like a catalytic, catalytic moment for me, but I just go, how often, man, on the, on the surface, we are, we are tempted to see things and to make judgments, both right and wrong, and Jesus looks at this little insignificant church, and he says, no, you're the real deal. Jesus looks at them, and he says, I know what's happening. He says, I see your poverty, yet you're rich what Jesus is saying there, he's not talking about, you know, worldly wealth. He's talking about heavenly wealth. He's reemphasizing the thing that, that he preached in his very first sermon in Matthew chapter 6, right? In the Sermon on the Mount. Not his very first sermon, but one of his most significant sermons where he shows up and, and he says, hey, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he looks at this church and he says, guys, you're doing it Right? You're investing in the right place. And I love it because Jesus just shows up and he encourages this church. He says, I know about those who are slandering you. The people who have the religious heritage, the people who have the authority, the people who claim to be walking with me. And it seems on the surface that all these religious leaders who they're slandering you and they're making you feel less than, it seems on the surface that my hand is on them, my presence. He said, it couldn't be further from the truth. I know about those who have the heritage but don't have the heart. It's like Jesus is saying to this church, maybe saying to us, hey, if, if, if you ever look at your unfortunate circumstances, like if I were to ask you to raise your hand and I go, man, how many of you, life is challenging right now. Financially, Relationally, your marriage, at work, with your parents. If I were to go around just to ask you, man, how many do you feel like, like life is, is challenging right now? Do we ever when when our circumstances are challenging? do we ever ask the question? Do we ever start going down that road? Man, am I doing something wrong? You ever been there? Where you look at your circumstances and, 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 and everything is challenging. It's like, man, why am I struggling to pay my bills right now? And why are, are people saying things behind me, about behind me, about my... Okay, here we go. Saying things about me behind my back. Thank you. And and, and, and that's not true. Why are people slandering me? Why, are, why is life so challenging? And are we ever tempted to look at our circumstances and to make calls about where we are with God? We go, man, am I doing something wrong? Jesus looks at this church and he says, hey, I know you're not perfect, but I see a heart that actually beats for me. And so don't be tempted to 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 equate your poverty and your hardships with my affection for you and what I think about you. You know, Jesus has this way of, of pinpointing the reality, and he looks at this church and he says, You're rich in heaven. You're doing it. You're doing great. And the reality is that his opinion is the only one that matters. And so if you come here this morning and, and maybe you're not perfect, man, but you're being faithful. You're showing up to, to the Lord and you're really trying to cultivate a real prayer life and a real relationship with Jesus and you're actually trying to be obedient to this. Jesus would look at you and say, you're the real deal. You have faith in me. Your, your life is being transformed by my grace. You're the real deal. And just because life is hard and things are challenging... Man, if you're actually following me, don't be tempted to equate your hard circumstances with what I feel about you, what I see in you. Third thing this morning in this passage is that Jesus doesn't always use his strength the way we expect him to. Listen to this, verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I'll give you life as your victor's crown. You know, Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know what? The devil was gonna come after you, but I disrupted his plans, and so you're cool now. No, listen to what Jesus says. He says, the devil is coming after you. He's sitting us down in the living room, and he says, you need to know this. some of you are going to suffer. Some of you are going to be put in prison. Some of you are going to die. And I think we're tempted to say, Jesus, you just told us you're the first and the last. Like, why don't you use your strength to stop the enemy? (laughs) Have you ever thought that in your life? Life is incredibly challenging, and you're going, God, I know that you're powerful, and I know you're capable of stopping this storm. It is my life. Will you please put a stop to the suffering? Why aren't you stopping the suffering, Lord? How long? And we're going to just camp out here for a minute, because this is incredibly important, I think, especially in our day and age. Listen to this. Jesus pinpoints to the church of Smyrna, and you got to hear this. He says, the devil will put some of you in prison. It's the devil's doing. He looks at his church and he says, guys, you're being faithful to me. And I'm not reciprocating your faithfulness by being cruel to you. You need to know that the one who is behind all the persecution and your suffering and all the heartache is actually the one who's been in rebellion against me from the very beginning. Satan himself, who's full of pride and arrogance. Satan who loves to see you suffer. And I go, guys, it's important when we go through hard seasons of life where we're really being true to Jesus. We're really being faithful. To understand this filter. Satan putting some of you in prison. I think so often we're going, man, why is God doing this to me? Why is God bringing this on me? Why is God letting this happen to me? And he just spells it out it's the devil, the evil one, the one in darkness, the one in rebellion to me. And Jesus encourages his church with this. Satan has a limited time of his persecution on your life, 10 days. And I think this is a misunderstanding. I think so often, you know, we might be tempted to think that Satan is just roaming free and doing whatever he wants, that he's unaccountable, he's unsubmitted. And and the reality is that he is rebellious and we cannot see him. And the first Peter 5 tells us that he does go around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But you need to know that everything he does, God is completely aware of. Jesus is in complete control of. So even in Satan's persecuting of the church in Smyrna, he says, you got 10 days. Jesus encourages his church. Be prepared. 10 days, he's coming after you. And hear this, guys. Hang with me. Jesus allows his church to be tested, to suffer. We got to talk about that for a minute. Life with Christ is not always up and to the right. It's not sins forgiven and then it's just magical life of everything going right. Relationship and finances and business and family. And that's not the way life works with Jesus. He says, I'm gonna allow you to be tested. You're gonna suffer. And I wanna remind us that, that we serve a God who first suffered himself. Let's not lose sight of that that we serve a God who, who came down to the earth that, that he created, he took on flesh. And, and let's just be honest, our God could have chosen any life for himself. And the life that he chose was to be born to a poor refugee family. We know at some point Jesus lost his father growing up. So he, he's poor, he's a refugee. He doesn't have a dad. Um, he grew up being rejected by his own people group. Um, he grew up being rejected by um, the, the church authority of the day, the people who had the heritage but didn't have the heart. His best friends abandoned him when he needed him most. He was elevated up on a, a Roman cross suffered. He bled. He died. He was mocked, ridiculed, and spit on the whole time he was being crucified. Guys, Jesus didn't choose a life in Beverly Hills, driving in Bentley with a butler. He chose the hard path. Single mom, lots of kids, lots of siblings, I mean. He preached a message of repentance that got him killed. And I think in our suffering sometimes, we're tempted to point a finger at God and we'll say, this is not fair. Guys, I think when we go through seasons of storms that are coming, our prayer isn't to look at God and point the finger and say, this isn't fair, you're not good. No, our prayer is, this is hard thank you that you willingly chose to come down to understand what I'm going through. Isn't it true that when you're going through something hard, you just want to talk to someone who experienced someone like you, the things that, the things that you're experiencing? Our prayer is, God, give me the strength that you had to endure. Guys, we, we look to We learn to to lean on Jesus and, and look to Jesus, and we look like Jesus in our suffering. This is important. Jesus allows his church to be tested. The reality is that you don't trust something that hasn't been tested. If the mechanic puts new brakes on your car, don't you want him to test it? Man, if, if, if you're having surgery, don't you want your doctor to have gone through lots and lots and lots of tests? Testing reveals what is actually there. Guys, spiritual testing is never fun. But the reality is that you don't know what you're made of until you go through testing. My wife and I have been serving our church for 14 years have been walking with many people over the years. I remember one time walking with this person, and it was like the dominoes of life just fell. Like literally everything that could go wrong was going wrong in their life. Marriage, and family, and financially, and emotionally. And you, and you just, you, you see them going through it, and you're like, my goodness, like, it's like a convergence of a hurricane and a tornado and an earthquake, like literally everything happening on their life. And I remember this friend would reach out to Courtney and, and they would send us texts and call them, like, hey, life is so hard. And I don't know what to do. But God is good, God's faithful. And I remember we, we would receive those texts and of course we were praying and doing what we could to, to support them and walk alongside of them and hold them up. And, and I remember we would we receive those prayers. We received, the, I mean, we received those texts and, and we would reply back and we would say, man, we, we don't understand why you're going through what you're going through and we know that it's hard. And, and the only encouragement that we can give you is that the thing that has been revealed through all this testing is that you actually look like Jesus. That, that the storms have come and, and you're still standing and it's beautiful. Like the way that, that you can keep looking to Jesus and say he's good, even when all the things about your life are pointing to, to the fact that everything is hard and you're going, my God is, is faithful and he's kind and, and, he's, and he's good. And we're going, the storms of life have come your way and it's proven that you're the real deal. And guys, you never can be you can never fully know until you go through the test. And so we don't ask for the test, we don't want the test, but what we understand is that Christ is preparing us so that we can pass the test. And there's nothing more fun than acing a test. Remember how pumped you were when you were 16 and you got your license? And you passed that test? or you passed your final test in high school, or you passed your final test in college, or you passed the board. Remember how excited and thankful you were to pass the NCLEX? Like, man, when you pass the test that you're ready for, it's invigorating. And the same is true with God. God cares nothing about us failing the test. He wants us to pass it. So how do we pass the test? How do we withstand this story? Listen, this is Jesus, the fourth thing that he says to them. Number four today, our fourth handle, we weather the storm. Jesus gives the church two commands. He says, don't be afraid and be faithful. And I really believe that these are two words that are incredibly important for us today. Don't be afraid. You know, one of the things that scripture talks about, and we're really going to deep dive into this in the fall and teaching series that we're going to be going through Lord willing. Um, leading up to the time that, that Jesus returns. Okay, so Christ is coming back to this earth. It's, the scripture said that he is going to ride on the clouds. He's going to come back to this earth that every eye is going to see him. And, and the scriptures talk about the, the times leading up to Jesus returning. It speaks about life getting harder for God's people. And if you and I, as, as his followers, if we are not aware of that, if we are not prepared for that, that when hard things come our way, we misdiagnose and we misinterpret what's going on, or even worse, we buckle under pressure. And the testing comes and it crushes us, and our love for Jesus grows cold, and our love for the church grows cold, and our love for for seeing lost people come to know Jesus grows cold. And if we're not prepared for the testing that comes, we fail the test. And the cost is too high for us to fail the test. And so Jesus looks at us and he says, Don't be afraid. And if you're like me, it's like, well, you're telling me life's going to get harder. How, why are you telling me to not be afraid? You don't have to worry about the things that are coming. I'm going to be with you. Yeah, and, and that doesn't mean life is going to be easy. For some of you, you're going to go to prison. For some of you, yeah, you're, you're going to die, but you need to know I died. And on the other side of death is eternal life. He says, don't be afraid. The second thing he says is be faithful. Be faithful. What does faithfulness look like? What does that mean? And I kept thinking about in marriage to my wife. You know, in, 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 in marriage, what it looks like to be faithful is that you're exclusively devoted to them. So I honor my wife when I'm with her and when I'm not with her. I give my, life, my wife my whole heart. I don't hold back from her. And I give her my thought life. I'm not thinking about other women. I'm thinking about her. And I give my body and my money and my time and my creativity to her. It's exclusive. It's it's, it's me. It's giving my full life to her. And the same is true with Jesus. We give all of him to us. Not a part of us. And in our suffering, in our challenges, we hold on to Jesus. We're faithful to him. In, in moments like this when we're expli- explicitly with him and in moments when we're by ourselves, we honor him in our thought life. And we give our money and, 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 we, and we give our bodies not the same way that you would to your wife. You give your life to, to Jesus in, by living a pure life, a holy life. A life marked out by the scriptures. We give our, 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 our money and our, and our time and our energy to Jesus. We weather the storm. And the last thing we're going to talk about this morning is, well, what happens when we weather the storm? Number five, we get the crown. We get the crown. Jesus says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I'll give you life as your victor's crown. You know it's cool? That the city of Smyrna this church was in, it's the place where athletes all over the ancient world would go and compete in the games. How cool is that? And if the the winners of of the games would be given these crowns, and so Jesus draws on this familiar imagery, and he says, in the same ways that the, the victors get the crowns, if you are faithful to me, you get the crown of eternal life. you and I will spend our lives enjoying life the way that it was created to be, untainted by Satan, untainted by sin and by suffering, and instead full of Jesus, full of joy, full of peace, full of life. You and I will forever, I mean, it's forever and ever and ever, and it's eternity. We're gonna have all this time on our hands to cultivate friendships. And to see the beauty of the world that God created and to talk face to face with Jesus himself. The man who got up on the cross and who died to cover your sin, to take your sin, to take your place in my place. It says, be faithful and you'll get that crown. In verse 11, he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. And I love this because what he says here, whoever has ears to hear, he says, don't miss this. Church, this morning, ethos this morning, don't miss this. If the Lord is saying something to you, don't miss it. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. Really, really cool fact that I learned this week about the, the city of Smyrna. Do you know that at the turn of the century, there are about 100,000 Christians still living in modern day Smyrna? Think about that. In Turkey, a letter was written 2,000 years ago, and, and the letter was Hey, persecution's coming, hard stuff is coming. And you ever wonder, like, hey, what did they do with that word? (laughs) They obeyed it. That generation after generation, they kept passing the torch of faith. And now we look across the ocean and we see a city that, you know, for us, there's lots of disconnects. But we go, oh, my goodness. What happens when you're a church that Jesus comes to and says, be ready to weather the storms of life, be faithful. What happens? 2,000 years later, you get to be talked about. (laughs) You're true to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I wanna be a part of a church that hears the words that Jesus has for us and obeys them. And it doesn't mean that we're gonna live for 2,000 years. I mean, I have no idea what God's gonna do with our church. But for us to be people, to be a church, that when Jesus speaks, we listen. When he tells us to do something, we do what he says. This morning, we're going to take communion. Some of you right now, you find yourselves in seasons of testing. You're in a storm. And I encourage you, as we take communion with someone around you, a couple people around you, to gather up and take communion and just say, hey, I'm in a storm. I could use some strength. Put your hand on each other's shoulders and just pray for each other. Pray for strength. Pray that Jesus would be near. Pray that, pray that you would feel his love and the solidarity that comes through enduring a storm. Some of you this morning come here and this morning and you realize that you were in a season of testing and you failed the test. That's a hard place to be, right? You know, some of you this morning, maybe you realize that. And you didn't even know it was happening, but your faith was being deconstructed. And you didn't surround yourself with people who love Jesus, who are filled with the Spirit. You kind of pulled back, and you surrounded yourself with people, by people who are cynical and, and jaded and are really more interested in deconstructing and reconstructing yourself. And some of you come here this morning, and you go, man, I am at the very bottom But these things came my way and I just cool, kind of pulled back and gave up. Some of you this morning, maybe it's the, the test as a relationship and you fail. Man, you weren't holy like you wanted to be in that relationship. Man, for some of you, it's in your, in your business and, and you go, man, I, I didn't live with the integrity that I wanted to live with. Let's just be honest. Just call it what it is. You failed the test. But God is not interested in just giving you an F and circling it and sending you on your way. He's a God of second chances. He's a God that loves to to give you another test so you can pass it, so you can look like Jesus, so that you can have the joy of, of going through a storm and going, you know what? I actually do love Jesus. And so don't be surprised if he brings another test. Learn from your mistakes. Weather the storm. Receive his grace. You failed. It's okay. Rebuild your life on Jesus. Be transformed by his spirit, by his grace. Some of you were in a season and you passed the test. Way to go. Your life is incredible. Your life is beautiful. Don't become arrogant. Stay humble. Thank him for helping you, for giving you the strength to weather the storm. Some of you are in a mo- you're not in a moment of testing. You haven't been in a season of testing for a long time, but you know who people, you know of people that you care deeply about that are. And I encourage you, if that's you, man, to pray for them this morning and to really prepare right now for when the seasons of storms come your way. So really just kind of take some inventory of your heart. Am I being faithful to Jesus now? Am I walking in freedom or am I, am I walking in fear right now? And so this morning, we're going to take communion, and wherever you are, I encourage you to to gather with the people that you came about, and just be honest, and pray together, and minister to one another. If you want to pray, I'll be over the respond, and I'd love to pray with you, and help however I can. And so I want to invite you to stand up. I'm going to pray, and then we'll go and take communion. Communion is around the room. Piece of bread, cup of juice. The body of Christ, the blood of Christ forgives us, covers us, includes us. And so let's pray, God. I pray that if I said anything that was not from you, of your heart, let it be forgotten and forgiven but the things that from you will bear generational fruit in our lives and the generations after us. And so God, help us to hear the things you have for us to hear. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's go and take communion now. If you want to pray, there'll be a couple of us at the respond banner. We'd love to pray with you. Love you.